Hey, it's Bobby. Hey, this is Jared. And you're listening to the Frankincense Podcast. We're excited to be here with you today, unfortunately, because uh, it's it's really not going to be like the most lighthearted conversation, but it's going to be a it's a heavy one, I think. Um, yeah, and important, and it's a conversation that needs to be had, unfortunately, time and time again until the problem is solved. I don't know what it's going to take. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, but we are going to be talking about Ahmad Arbery. Um, Ahmad Arbery, uh, if you haven't been watching social media or paying attention to the news, um, an African American man who was jogging through a neighborhood in Georgia, um, followed by a father and son um, duo uh, in a truck, um, both armed. The father being a former police officer or investigator of some sort, um, and the son having some sort of other, uh, I don't know, law enforcement background of some sort. Um, They they followed him, um, claiming that he was a, uh, you know, they had said that there was burglaries that were occurring in the neighborhood. Um, They called the police to say that he was... Um, the one that they were looking for. The police asked what he had done wrong. And from what I gather and all the things that I'm reading, um, they either ignored what the police asked or they just hung up on what the police asked and continued to follow the guy. Um, yeah. When they followed him, they um, con- they said, they even said that they blocked um, you 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 cut out there for a little bit. So you said it oh, should okay. it shouldn't have been a thing, and then you said after that, yeah. it, it should have never been a thing to begin with. But why is it a thing now? And I guess what I'm referring to um, is, is this idea that um, you know I don't, I don't know how to start it and 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 make it sound right, but this this idea that um, a person of color is guilty and this has been a thing in this country for a long time and I'm not understanding why what we know now in, in the history that we've seen in our country why, why this is still the case like why the default is we see a black man running in the neighborhood we need to check him out and see if he's the burglar yeah and so my, my thing so there's that but then there's the idea that we're the ones that have to be the heroes. Like when when does it become that we have to be the heroes? Like where we have to be the ones. You mean, like, the, you mean the men that that like track them down and yeah, shot them? Yeah, like, yeah. They had well, a. They I, had, go ahead. Well, I I, I want to say that this kind of plays into uh, a role that um, I, I think a lot of guys see themselves and especially guys in this country like we we have this racial caste system in this country still i mean we've had it from the beginning and that's the thing that i thought would go away over the years with just you know education and and understanding and you know i made the mistake in the early 2000s of thinking that we were entering into this like post-racial america you know that the racial caste system was going to disappear you know in the next generation it hasn't you know it's it's come back you know but I, i think a lot of white men in this country see themselves as defenders of the real America, which to them is, which to them, what is American, uh, 
to them is whatever is white culture. That to them is the true, true American thing. So it's this, there's this idea, this sort of underlying idea that it's like, we've got to defend our country from becoming more of something else, maybe more non-white culturally, um, maybe more, um, we got to defend ourselves from, you know, whatever called the browning of America. And so uh, a lot of people see it as we even, you know, in a, in a micro level have to defend our neighborhoods and, um, you know, the, the whiteness of suburban America, uh, according to James Lowen, um, author of the book sundown towns, uh, mm. is that the, the whiteness of suburban America wasn't an accident. It was achieved, you know, yeah. and a lot of people see it as my neighborhood. I must defend it from this, uh, these sort of, non-white burglars these these non-white intruders who the the default idea is that you know any non-white person in your neighborhood is there to do harm or make mischief mm-hmm. and they can't be trusted without the governance of white people with guns and so then we have to be the hero when we see somebody getting out of line especially if that person is non-white hmm. um so it's totally rooted in our, our white supremacist culture. Uh, it's rooted in this sort of male fantasy of, you know, I'm protecting my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm protecting my culture. I'm protecting my own kind. Um, it is a fantasy. It's rooted in that. And um, I think that's where this idea of we need to be the heroes comes from. Like I Second Amendment rights – I, I need Second Amendment rights because I need to be able to have that gun to protect myself from this enemy. Yeah, I got called a liberal. Um, I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna jump into I'm gonna jump into my my uh, conversation without bringing up the person's name or whatever. But yeah. um, I I'm glad you're bringing this up because I just want to say that this is something I hope that we would touch on because you know you think this would be like. A pretty obvious thing like somebody would hear of the story of this shooting and go oh obvious thing and you you posted about it you know you posted on social media like you know i saw it you know i think what when i first became aware of the story is when you posted the news story um and i thought this should be just really obvious to people that it was wrong to shoot this man but you had people uh, there was backlash against you for taking the side that it was wrong to shoot this young man. Yeah, and I've actually seen several people make this decision, make this um, piece. But I'm, I'm going to read what I wrote as my status. For those yeah. of you who aren't friends with me on Facebook, who don't see what I say on Facebook, I'm like I, I don't hide my thoughts. Like I very rarely do. Like I mean, if it's something, right. if it's injustice, I'm going to say it. And so this is what I said. No. This cannot be tolerated. An African-American man running in a neighborhood followed and having a shotgun pulled on him. A life taken unjustly. If they were concerned, they should have let the police handle it. If they, they didn't have to chase. This is why people of color kneel. This is why they don't feel safe. This is why minorities wonder if we are safe. Because amazingly enough, many people forget that I'm a minority too. My heart hurts for this. Nobody should wonder if they can run safely in their neighborhood, or any neighborhood, really. I had a friend share. He was shopping, standing in a checkout line, and there was a guy with open carry ready to pull his weapon on him. 
The assumption is because he is black and the guy with the gun had racist tattoos, which is very true. My friend shared this story on Facebook. It broke my heart. really made me mad. Racism is real. Injustice is real. Please, let's not stay silent on this. Let's not ignore this because of fear over the Second Amendment being taken away. These men who took a life over skin color need to be held accountable. Let's mourn with those who mourn. Let's stand for justice. Let's be humble enough to realize things need to change. Pray, but stand up for what is right in this time. No more. That's what I wrote. Well, Bobby, I just want to say that that, to me, is the kind of response that a Christian pastor a Christian pastor, um, ought to have in a situation like this. I think that's a really desirable and well-thought-out post. Well, thank you. Um, unfortunately, I had somebody respond to me saying, how dare I, as a pastor, have that conversation? Or even, how dare I create separation? How dare I tell right. people that this is a racist thing? How dare I... Right. How dare I do this and that I'm a liberal because of my Second Amendment comment? And what's interesting enough is that I didn't say anything about people being Second Amendment or not. I just said let's not hide or let's not be afraid to speak out because we're afraid of losing the Second Amendment right. I included myself in that conversation. I didn't, I didn't separate in any way. We've had a conversation about the Second Amendment on our podcast. But for me, I don't want people to lose anything. But I know that people won't stand up against this because they are afraid once they say anything about people being able to use a gun in public openly like that, that that instantly puts them puts the Second Amendment at risk. It instantly puts their freedom, quote unquote, at risk. And so they won't speak up on this kind of injustice because if they do, then it's very clear that the second amendment the second amendment concept could be adjusted and they don't want that um and so that's why i had it there i was called a liberal for saying something about that now it's, it's frustrating right. by the way the, the assumption there being that um liberal is unbecoming of a pastor yeah like that's a not that's like that's a non-christian position because because so your your conservative political views, those with Christianity, then now you can't tell the difference anymore. Right, right. Basically, and he even was he actually even told me the person who wrote me this message told me that my stance on this was actually more ungodly than the people who, mm-hmm. committed, in a way, ungodly more ungodly than than these people who committed this crime. Um, which is crazy. It's a crazy thing to say. By the way, that I, I, you know, I don't know this person personally, but they definitely they have a, they have a, their switch is on defend whiteness. <laughs> they have a defend. Yeah, so they're in defend whiteness mode right now, and they, they they may not really get that about themselves, but that's what's going on here. They they're on a team and they're defending it right now. Well, and the thing for him was. He so because of that kneeling comment as well. He's like, you brought up Kaepernick. I never said anything about Kaepernick. I just said this is why people. This is why they kneel. This is right. why they feel the need to kneel because of unnecessary, unjust killing of African American men and women um, in in this in this judicial system. In in the um, that police officers. It, white people are able to go ahead and just shoot a black person and it's just okay well that's a bummer 
you know, and yeah, they'll get a slap on the wrist or they might lose their position, but you know what? Like they're like like what other kind of consequences? But then you see an African American or any other person of color, all of a sudden, if they pull a gun, if they are if they were to be doing this, they would be dead or in prison instantly. And that's one of the things we have to realize is that that's what would happen in this in this country is that we want to see these people who, you know, like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying not to get too fired up over this because, but I, but I'm, I'm very, very, very frustrated with this, with this right now yeah. because I'm watching a bunch of white Christian men who are saying that this is a false narrative. Right. That, that they, they cannot believe it, which by the way, saying that this is a false narrative. Okay. Basically then says all of the black people that you know, who uh, are afraid, angry, scared, they're all wrong. Yes. All the men, all the black pastors and, and reverence, all of the mothers who are saying, listen, this is disturbing to us. We see this pattern. It's been a pattern historically. You basically have to say that they're all wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this idea that you can only get this opinion if you are so deceived by the left-leaning uh, news media, and and you just that, that's that's there's kind of this idea. Uh, among conservatives that you you just are ate up with the left-leaning news media and you got to get some different news media or you got to get truth yeah never mind that the idea that this these opinions could actually come from real life experiences Mm -hmm. you know people in your church community shot shot on the street you know um people you know people connected to uh you know we we know the names trayvon martin and we know the names emmett till i mean those are tragedies, but there are just hundreds and hundreds of names that we do not know, you know, people who are gunned down and lynched, you know, and people have been living these experiences and living in this fear. And to tell them that they're not seeing these things, they're not experiencing these things, they haven't lost these these people, you know, these young men who are shot, you know, um, that they haven't, uh, you know, had these young women raped, you know, to, to send a to send a message. Uh, you know, from white supremacists mm-hmm. uh, to tell them that they're not experiencing these things, that they're only getting that from the left-leaning media. How dare you? Mm-hmm. How dare you? If, it, in a weird way, it must be nice to, to be able to deceive yourself so thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because that's really what it is, right? They're, they have bought into their own narrative that this cannot be true. And that, okay, okay, well, let's just say that it is true. Let's say that racism really does exist. Let's just say that this is happening. But you know what? Black people kill black people all the time. You don't see people getting upset about that. That's, that's, a, bog- that's, a, that's a bogus statement, and that is a way that, to, to justify why you feel what you feel. Black people kill black people, and people are upset. White people kill white people, people are upset. But when, it's, when it is a right. targeted thing, and one of the things that the guy brought up to me in, my, in the, his comment to me was, well – are you going to make a big deal about the the gun rates in Chicago, the um, the gun deaths in Chicago? Are you going to make a big deal about when, uh, what was it, an illegal who is 
um, protected by a um, a sanctuary city who rapes a white white woman and kills her. Are you going to make a big deal about that? Are you going to make a big big deal about when um, some black boys chase down a white boy and kill him or beat him? Are you going to make a big deal about that? I'm like, if I hear about that, yes. Yeah. But I'm not. <laughs> but it, but and if I hear real factual true evidence of that i will say that is wrong but and and i'm not saying the chicago stuff isn't true i'm not saying that doesn't that doesn't exist but i am saying that everybody talks about that everybody does but this racist stuff the stuff of where white men are chasing down a black man who's unarmed and whether let's okay i'm gonna go ahead and give benefit of the doubt even though i don't believe this in any way shape or form that this guy right. actually was the burglar. Okay, let's just say he was. He didn't have a gun on him. He wasn't able to defend himself against some other guy with a gun. He was just running through a community. He didn't have anything on him that he stole. There was no evidence that he stole anything. They were just chasing him down. You're going to tell me that that's justified? That that's, oh, well... Well, he was a burglar, so they had every right to... No, nobody has a right to have somebody chase them down and kill them because they're assumed to be a burglar. Right. Just because they assume... I can. That means that, I, that if they get off on this, if, if people think that that's okay, then if I were the people who are saying this is okay, I would stop walking on the street. Because that means that anybody who owns a gun could just step out and say, I think you're a burglar. Boom. You're dead. Why? Because it's justified. I thought you were a burglar. Yeah. But we all know that that's not uh, that's not going to work uh, for a couple of black people shooting a white guy. You know that. You we know, know that. that. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Everyone. Now there are people kind of you know play dumb and innocent and go, "Oh no, it would be the same." You know darn well in this country, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. And then to go to the point of where people are saying, how dare Christian leaders, right? Because there were other pastor friends of mine who posted this, who posted outrage over this. And saying, how dare Christian leaders, Christian pastors, you're guiding people. How dare you speak out on this issue, right? And speak so negatively and create such separation. And I call BS, okay? I'm going to – can I just say that right now? I call BS on this. Because the problem with this is these conservative, right, right-wing, um, political-leaning people who are trying to call out this, how dare you separate, how dare right. you call out and make people feel differently about – you are the very stinking people who are making people think that Nancy Pelosi is the devil. You're the very stinking people who are trying to tell people that the liberal Democrats are out to kill them and that we should turn against them and that that all these making horrible comments about um, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, AOC, right? Uh, Is that her name? Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, thank you. Um, You know, like coming after her and making horrible comments about her, making comments about um, the Muslim uh, senator. um, uh, My mind is blank on the names right now. It's horrible. But making these horrible comments about all these people separating, separating, separating. But then when somebody makes a comment about racism Uh in America – 
about white men who were chasing down an African-American man. And you're going to say, how dare I create separation because I'm calling out racism? But it's okay for you to go ahead and create separation towards Democrats and Republicans all because they're a different political party. It's okay for you to go ahead and make hateful comments about people because they're, they're from a different political party. That's bogus. Right. And part of my language, and I'm going to have to put explicit on this thing now because that is bullshit. All right. It, it is. is. It is. It is. And I, I mean, I didn't even consider that part of it. It's just, you, but you're right. I do see a lot of <laughs> divisive stories and memes and videos, you know, being shared uh, by the very people who would call you, who would say that you're being divisive, you know. I had a uh, I had a friend in church, a uh, guy I look up to, uh, one of the uh, founders of the church, one of the elders, and he was he was super offended one day when he watched. Uh, I don't think he watched it. I think he just saw an article about it. You know how people write articles about TV shows and tell what's in them. And this was uh, David Letterman's interview uh, with Jay Z. And Jay-Z had talked about white privilege and the kind of, it was a quote from Jay-Z in the article. And this guy said, how dare Jay-Z stir this stuff up needlessly? You know, and if you listen to what he says, it's the most honest, like most matter of fact thing. It's a thing that if you really just, just look at the history of the country, the real history of the country, you can see that the, that the type of white privilege that Jay-Z was talking about definitely 100% exists. I'm saying that as a white guy. I know that Jay-Z was right, you know, and I said, hey, man, I said this to my friend, to this guy from my church. I said, hey, you know, I bet I can prove to you in just a conversation or two, Jay-Z was right about this. What do you think? You know, would you like to get a cup of coffee? Dude was ticked. Dude was ticked at me. And he says, you know what? I can't uh, meet you for coffee on Sunday. I have to do, you know, God's work at the nursing home. And then I said, well, what about Wednesday? Well, I can't do that uh, because, you know, I have something else important to do. And I said, all right, you know, whenever you're ready, you know, I said, but listen, I'm, I'm going to bring it, you know, I'm going to bring like all the historical stuff and I'm going to show you that everything Jay-Z referenced was true, you know? Uh, and, uh, and he says, no, Jay-Z stirring up stuff needlessly. I'm like, no, I, I think that I can prove to you, dude, unfriended me he wow. unfriended me on facebook over mm-hmm. that and i was just saying come to panera bread we'll talk about jay-z's comments i really thought i could win this guy over with historical fact he's a logical guy he's a logic no it was too emotional for him he wants to believe he wants to believe that there is no problem, that there is no such thing as racism in America. And then when somebody says something about it, they're just trying to stir the pot. They're just trying to cause division. Okay. Mm-hmm. How dare it's not, you know, if you see a problem, you know, uh, well, it, put it this way. If you see a problem and you think there's racism in this country, the default opinion of these guys is you're wrong. You're wrong. You saw racism. You must be mistaken. And if you call it out, you're creating division. You know, these guys are real. Now, what do you think this guy would say to you or say to me if he was still my Facebook friend? <laughs> I haven't seen him in person in a long time because of the the pandemic. Normally, I would see him like at church, you know, and we're still friendly in real life, just not just not on the internet, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what do you think this guy would say to you? That's a real guy, you know. That's a real guy in my church, and he's just one guy. There are so many. I mean. 
Well, what cracks me up is most likely he would look at this as me or you causing division because we're stirring up a, a narrative of racism. Um, right. And as I was accused of this is that we don't know all the facts. Um, uh-huh. We don't know all the facts. Yeah, well, you know who didn't know all the facts, though? When they pulled that trigger and shot that guy <laughs> or when they tried to track it, they didn't know all the facts. So I'm calling BS on that when we say, hey, listen, wait, let's get the rest of the story. We did – those two guys didn't wait to get the rest of the story before they shot this young jogger. Yeah, before where, they- where, where was his trial? Where was his waiting? You know, Where was that? We had a gun. We were going down the street in a pickup truck, and we were ready to go mm-hmm. on just the, the idea that he could be a burglar, which, by the way, I think is dubious. I think that's sort of just later trying to justify you know, that you had to kill a black man. Yeah. And again, if they were so concerned about it, they could have just said, hey, um, we need you to stay right here. There's no reason to take guns. They could have called the police. They could have fought. If they wanted to follow him, follow him. Like keep a distance, follow him. Call the police and have them get there. And then when the police get there, you just tell them what you saw and then you let the police deal with it. You don't have to – you are not – vigilante justice is not how we work in this country. That cannot be happening. And so for some reason though, we can't just say, oh, well, we don't know all the facts. The fact of the matter is it was an African-American man running in a neighborhood with no weapon and no proof that he he stole anything. Another fact, two white guys, former former police officer and I believe one of them was military, riding in a truck, chasing a guy down. Telling him, hey, we just want to talk to you, which I'm pretty positive that's not the language that was probably used, right? It was probably a, hey, boy, we want to talk to you, or, hey, you, right. want, you know, I can assume a bunch of things. I don't, I don't imagine it was just a, excuse me, sir, can we have a conversation? I doubt that was the conversation. I doubt that was what came out of their mouths. Fact, they got out of the car. They created a scuffle. The guy defended himself when he sees somebody with a shotgun coming at him. The shotgun right. goes off kills him those are the facts that's actually i can't really pretend and understand what's going on in that video but what i do see is him uh, grabbing the barrel of the shotgun to basically try to save himself from being shot it was this idea it it looks to me like he's reaching out to go no no you're not going to shoot me yeah yeah and then you know um Oh, I just I'm I'm baffled mm-hmm. by people who say we don't have enough facts. Well, um, there, there's a, I mean, in the history of this country, I mean, um, you know, you can't you can't get away from it. But one sort of vigilante justice that's been a tradition in this country is the lynching, and I've heard people, you know, compare this to lynching. But thousands of people were lynched, you know, yeah. and a lot of this was done, you know, post Civil War, um, to basically send a message to to African American communities or just any non-white communities that that white people are in charge. And if you even get a little bit out of line, this is what happens to you, you know. Yeah. And I thought. That that would go away. I grew up thinking that was ancient history. Hmm. You know, I didn't know that, you know, as recently as just like my, my father's, you know, my father's teenage years uh, that, you know, sundown towns were like still a thing in America. We had actually talked about, you know, um, Philippi, Mm -hmm. uh, 
where I live uh, in Philippi, West Virginia, um, being a, a sundown town. Um, they were the Chestnut Ridge people. I think you introduced me to this idea on a previous podcast, you yeah. know, um, but they were, uh, I guess, so Native American people, a mix of like Native Americans and, you know, African Americans. Mm-hmm. They had a community, but the idea was they, they weren't white. And the idea was they, as late as the um, early 1960s, um, there were signs in Philippi saying like all the Chestnut Ridge people have to be out have to be out of town by sunset, um, you know, white business only, you know, downtown. And turns out this was a common thing in the North and in the South well into the 20th century, you know? So there's this, there's this idea of, you know, what's really America is white, white skin, white culture, and uh, everything else is just like a corruption of it. And we've got to keep that in line. And one way that, you know, people were kept in line was to have sundown town rules. I mean, the, the, you know, this isn't even conspiracy theory stuff, Bobby. I don't need me, Jared. I don't need conspiracy theories. The library shelves are full of the history that tells you that this is true. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of scholarship has been done on lynchings. I mean, you can, if you get into it, it, it is a crazy world, but there are photographs they used to put them in the newspaper when they would lynch people. People would – it was a photo op. They would leave the corpse of the dead man or men or women hanging from the tree. A lot of times it was men because they were accused of whatever. You know, you, Normally it was like they were get, they had gotten out of line, but they were accused of burglary or rape or something like that. You know, yeah. and, and, and really what they had done was maybe their business was more successful than a white guy's business, so they decided to lynch him. You know? <laughs> Uh, and that was just a common thing. And so they would hang this guy from a tree and then people would pose in front of it. Not just men, like moms with their kids would get a photograph in front of the dead body, like as if it wasn't mm-hmm. even human. It was like, you know, as if we had, you know, trophy hunted an animal, you know, and stood in front of it. And these pictures sometimes were published in the newspaper, mm. you know. And this this is how common it was, and the idea it, it basically it, it did a couple things. It, it gave white communities this this sort of um, unifying sort of experience to have together, and it sent to black communities like, hey, don't get out of line by our rules, or this is what happens. You know, it was a way to control with fear. You know, I thought that would go away, but I can't help but think that this kind of stuff, like you know, um, Trayvon Martin. Uh, or or how or how years before um, the the two guys who, who killed Emmett Till uh, were acquitted and then admitted after they were acquitted that they had proudly admitted that they had done the murder and had the support of their community that they had done the murder because mm-hmm. the idea was like yes you killed a black man and you sent that message you did what was right for the white people you know right. and I thought that would go away but there's still a lot of that out there. There's still a lot of that out there. There's this sort of fantasy that it's like we're defending America when we strike fear and bring violence to non-white people. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just the most evil thing that this country does. Mm-hmm. If I could change one thing about America, it would be to to end this this racism 
I just don't know what it's going to take. I thought it would go away and it keeps getting revived. It, you know, different generations keep reviving it. And how I know it's revived is not because sometimes there's a murder like this. It's because so many people speak out in defense of the attackers when there's a murder like this. Yeah. Because they got to pick the side of the race that they're on, you know? Right. And the the sad part is, is that, you know, I saw somebody today, today um, defending um, Zimmerman, right? Um, saying right. saying that we that, know he did it. We know Zimmerman did it. We yeah. know he's not sorry. And they were defending him, saying that Trayvon was the was the aggressor. And oh my and my thing was, um, there are plenty of books, and there's actually one book in particular that was shared. I can't remember the name of it. I have to look it up again. But it was shared about how. Um, the whole idea of stand your ground is pretty much just set up to be able to kill black people um, or people or any other minority, really. Um, and that basically what was um, being said was that the guy was saying, like, well, Trayvon was the aggressor. And it's like, wait a second. I want to like, – this is where this is where empathy comes into play that I feel like a lot of people just don't want to take the time to try to empathize with the people of color is that – Put yourself in their position. There's actually a song that's out right now. Um, um, yeah, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it, um, but it, it just came out, um, or I just saw the music video for it. Anyway, that's pretty powerful. Um, but but putting yourself in the in the shoes of an African American or even a Mexican or Native American person in this country, yeah. and just imagine your feelings. Imagine what it would be like for you to walk into a neighborhood. And just be walking with your hood up and somebody come out following you and right. then pulls a gun and kills you because you look like somebody that just does not fit their idea of who belongs in their neighborhood. Imagine right. being Native American people who this was your land. The white people come in and then your the government pushes you onto sp- spots of mm-hmm. the of the United States and they don't even take care of you. You're put in a place where your tribe is is control is controlling you with a little bit of money from the government, and what happens is alcoholism, rape, uh, other abuse, um, drug abuse, suicide, all runs rampant in the Native American population. Why? Because they are stuck where they're at. When this was their land to begin with, they're put in little plots. When you have yeah. Mexican people, Hispanic people. Who walk through and they're being told that they don't belong here, that they should be yeah. put they should be put back over the border. Even people who've been born here are being told they need to leave this country and go back to where they came from. Yeah. They have no place here. Imagine being that. Empathize with that a little bit and realize that just because, oh well, this doesn't fit my narrative, then you need to slow down and realize that your narrative isn't the only narrative in this world. That there are people who are struggling to figure out how they're going to survive because their because their skin color puts them at risk because their yeah. skin color puts them in a place of mistrust and distrust and is a, and puts them in a place of saying that they don't belong and yeah. so now when they're driving through a neighborhood and they see white people looking at them now they're afraid what should I do should I leave should I not am I welcome here am I not. I have a friend of mine who shares that because he's an African-American man and he's outside doing some yard work and some women walk by and he hears one of them say, don't get too close to him. He's a rapist. He's not. 
He's an African-American right. man in a primarily white neighborhood. And this is what he gets because he's African-American. Because rumors want to fly because everybody's going to mistrust and distrust an African-American man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And so right. they tell me that this doesn't exist. Is, is you putting your head in the ground saying that you just don't even, you don't even want to acknowledge it? But the documentation is on your side, Bobby, this idea that you know racism exists. The documentation is on your side. It's just that people don't look at the documentation. I mean, you go into the library and you just look at the history of your area and you start digging up the past and you start looking at the words that people say, you know. Um, I mean, like this this idea that like, you know, a neighborhood should be racially homogenous, that's not by accident. That's not white people choosing to live with white people and black people choosing to live with black people. There have been people that want to intermingle in these neighborhoods and neighborhoods are segregated to this day by design, you know, like it was achieved, you know, and you can still see footage of people just openly saying like, we moved to the, you know, when suburbs were becoming a thing and they were building houses and with garages and, you know, no sidewalks and you could just, just drive right up into your garage and live in these sort of, you know, suburban neighborhoods like we build now, you know, in these sprawling cities. When those were a new thing, uh, you could still see people on the news or people on promotional footage saying, we like this neighborhood. We like this neighborhood because it's white. And that would be part of the, they would that would be part of their thing. They would be like, oh, with great parks, um, you know, all white neighbors, you know. They would actually say this, you know. Mm-hmm. This was a thing that you could say in the fifties and sixties, and that was considered like like a normal thing to say. And this was put into advertising. Like it would be desirable to people that come and live in this neighborhood that's gonna be all white, you know. Um that's a thing we do in this country, you know? So my point is, it's like, you don't have to look very far to find that documentation, find that footage. And this isn't that long ago, you know, this is your grandfather's generation. This is your mother's generation, you know, Mm -hmm. and they, it's still in there. You know, it's, I don't know why it is. I don't know why it is. You know, I like, even me, I like work really hard at it to really try to walk around in somebody else's shoes, to try to listen to, the voices of people of color in this country. I'm still racist, Bobby. Like I still, I call myself a recovering racist because, you know, I was raised with these sort of like racist beliefs. The, the, the main racist belief and I, you know, there were people that told it to me, but I think I just, it was, it was given to me by example, not from my parents necessarily, just from my community growing up, just from the culture of America growing up was that, What's, what's, what's really Christian is also American and vice versa. Hmm. You know, American and Christian are synonymous. So if it seems right to Americans, it's Christian. And then a caveat to that was American is also white. So the white way of the, the white people cultural way of dressing, of singing worship music, um, that's what's right. If something seems non-white, that's what's wrong. And if people really want to be Christian, be American, 
they need to start dressing like we do. Hmm. They need to start listening to our music, you know? Yeah. And, and so the idea, you know, this, this whole thing of like, you know, that, that culture is a little bit different. Can't be Christian. You know, this is why growing up when I would see videos or hear records of black gospel music, mm-hmm. it almost didn't seem Christian to me because of my white way of thinking, my white way of growing up and just sort of, you know, church is segregated. There's white church and black church, you know, even to this day. And um, in my, my thinking was, man, you know, that music, that's not really Christian. If they wanted to be really Christian, they would sing my music, you know. Or when I would look at, you know, uh, the beautiful hats and, and ties that African-American people wear to church, I'd think, oh, how silly, you know. Mm-hmm. If, they were, if they really wanted to be Christian – it would wear a tie like my pastor, something a little more subtle, you know, maybe like a muted color, you know, not purple, you know. Yeah. And uh, and that's what I thought, and that's the way I was raised, you know. And I didn't know that that was racist, but I don't know. Growing up, I figured that out, you know. So I consider myself, you know, a, a recover, a recovering racist. And I mean, as hard as I work at it, that's still in there. Now imagine. If I had never known that or never acknowledged that, imagine if I had never read anything about the history of racism in this country or, or if I spent all of my days saying, oh, that's just denying it, saying anybody who brings that up is stirring up, you know, is just stirring the pot. I, you know, could you imagine how I would be now, you know, in, in the face of tragedies like this, right? I, I probably couldn't even see it. You know, I, yeah, I wonder, there's a few things I kind of want to say. Um, so I wonder with all of this, right, what you just said, especially, like with MLK, right, we always right. talk about MLK, and we always want to celebrate, and I guarantee you people are probably like, well, MLK, why do we celebrate him, right? There's so many people who say that, which is ridiculous. Actually, um, growing up, I heard people in my family go because they had made the switch from having a school day off for president's day. They had changed that to uh, Martin Luther King jr. Holiday. Right. Yeah. And the people said, I can't believe that they changed that. They, these kids get off of school for Martin Luther King jr. And not even for their own president. <laughs> Do you feel those words? Their own president. Yeah. And what they're saying is, like, a leader for white people, mm-hmm. their own president. Yeah. Like, me as a white kid, Martin Luther King Jr. can't have anything to do with me. It needs to be Washington, George Washington's birthday. Yeah. That's what has something to do with me. Yeah. Right. And I'm wondering, when we look back at what he did with the Civil Rights Movement, and then we hear what's going on today. And for people to say to themselves, like, this is not, this just doesn't happen anymore. This is a false narrative. Are you telling me that Martin Luther King was using a false narrative as well? Um, That's a great point. Because, you know, Rosa Parks, <laughs> you know, Martin Luther King, heck, 
we'll go to Harriet Tubman. Okay. They, they were fighting for something. They were fighting for freedom. They were right. fighting for equality. They were fighting for life. You know, Rosa Parks, like, she was a tired woman. <laughs> and she sat at the front of the bus. Why? Because she was she was tired. And she also didn't want to have to move because she had a different skin color. And she stood up for that. What if we were to tell her that was a false narrative? That's a false narrative. There's no there's no such thing as you having to move to the back of the bus because you're African American. That's a false narrative. Yeah. No. No. It was true. It was documented. It's real. Let's go to Rodney King. Look, let's go let's go to something that was just like I mean, was when I was a teenager, Rodney King, right? I mean like maybe I was a little bit younger than a teenager. But, yeah. But when he's beat down by a bunch of police police officers in LA. Now, again, people say, well, he was a criminal. <laughs> like okay, so so what? Like <laughs> he he didn't deserve to get beat to, to near death on the right. street by multiple police officers. Right. But it but for some reason it was easy to justify, well, he's a criminal and look how big he is and, and look how many times they had to tase him and look at well, dude. He had like no, there's there's no reason for it, and even right. he craw- cried out, "Can't we all just get along?" Right? Yeah. Like his famous words of "Can't we all just get along?" And here we are today, in 2020, and people can't get along because it's it's a threat to themselves. It's a threat to who they are. It's a threat to them because how dare you tell me that white people are bad? And the thing about it is. We aren't saying white people are bad. Correct. We're saying that we have to be aware of the system that's been set up for white people to be successful and for people of color to be oppressed because that is a true deal. That is a true, true deal. And everything proves that. Everything proves that. Even like that that's that is the part for me is like, come on, why can't we just say what's wrong and own it and just say, look, this is this is what's wrong with the system and how do we respond to it? And and when we can start putting ourselves in their place and saying, Look, this is where we've messed up, this is what we've missed, and that's the thing too, is that what you said right there, the idea, well, their president, right? It's their president. Why? Like they're losing their holiday. They can't even get a holiday for their president. One of the things that was said to me about Kaepernick kneeling was that yeah. why is he standing up for racism? He was raised by white people. He never experienced racism, the, what he's saying. Now, number one, you don't know what he experienced, but number two, uh, I will tell you, I'm sure that he has because you know you don't have to have gone through some major experience to to have you know some some big you know tragic historic thing to experience racism in this country. You can just experience it on that day to day level. I got people in my Facebook feed who do who get racially profiled and talk about it. But my thing is, who cares whether he experienced it or not? Right. He should still be able to speak out on it. I've never experienced sexism, but I can stand up for people who are treated that way. I've right. never been raped before, but I can stand up for people who've been raped. I mean, it, you bring up a great point, Bobby. I mean, why 
is it that we can't speak out on issues that maybe we don't have firsthand experience with, but we know it's injustice? Yeah. And then my final point is this. Um, well, maybe not final point, but we're getting close to an hour. So I don't know. Maybe we'll be closing it off and then continuing this conversation next week uh, where we might have a special guest, hopefully. Um, but but my one of the things that was brought up to me was um, the race card. You know, you see, the person is sick and tired of the race card. Yeah. And I told, they actually use that terminology. Oh, yeah, they use that terminology. Because, and I said – because because here's here's what they want, Bobby. They want that you know a couple of white guys can shoot a black person and not be questioned about it anymore. You know, they want this to sort of go on um, unchecked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when he said that the race card thing, I said, look, I may not like people using the race card to get special treatment. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm not gonna yeah. get, like I mean. Like, oh, well, I'm to get onto a special elevator or something like that or to move up the ladder because, oh, this is my – like, if you earn it, dude, you deserve it. Don't use the race card to get there. Like, okay, so like, I'll say, okay, I get that, right? I hate that term, but I said because honestly, you and I have talked about it. The race idea doesn't necessarily exist, but for some reason we've made it something um, – but but the the thing is right. that, we made it an idea. It doesn't biologically exist. We just turned it into a thing where it matters so much. It's a big caste system we made up. Exactly. And so yeah. I said, but but my thing is is like I like I'm, I'll say like don't use the race card for special treatment. But I will say you have every right to use the race card when it comes to equality. Yeah. Like like dude, if you want equality, yeah. You know what? You better call it out. You better say this is where I'm at. This is where I stand. Like like you're like you're you need equality. And you can use the gender card, you can use the race card, you can use whatever card you need to do to get equality because you know what? Everybody deserves the rights that we have. Everybody deserves to be free. Everybody deserves to be treated as equal. And that's amazingly enough, that's in our constitution. Um yeah. And and even in the Bill of Rights, I believe too. Um, wow, it's crazy! Like all these things about our government, our 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 United States of America, say people need to be treated equal. And yeah. the reality of it is, is that once we start saying, "Well, that person must have done something wrong to deserve to be shot," you now instantly say you have every right to treat that person in inequality. Right. Because if a white person were to be shot for nothing by black men you would have your your tune changed and i wonder if you were to ask those men if they saw a white guy walking through the community or running through the community would they have chased him down the way that they chased down the black guy i think i think we all i think we all know that we, they wouldn't have and we do i must say there were white joggers in that neighborhood that day mm, i would not doubt it and the thing about it is again is one of the things that was said to me after all of this was um you use Jesus to make your to make your statements. And I don't believe Jesus would have cried out racism on this issue. He would have uh-huh. just maybe cried. Oh and, my goodness. And so then it he, doesn't sound like Jesus. <laughs> to, to cry and do nothing. Jesus was not a thoughts and prayers kind of dude. No, Jesus Jesus wept over his friend being dead, but it was because he realized what it meant for the for humanity and what was coming his way. But yeah. he 
stood up and he and I told the man that that made these accusations to me. I said um, he flipped over tables. He flipped over tables because of oppression. He flipped over right. tables because God's temple was being misused to oppress and to belittle a different to people people who were in need and people who were coming in who couldn't afford certain things. They were using that to manipulate a system. And then he did in Matthew twenty three a whole idea of woes to the Pharisees of how they use their power to oppress, how they are greedy, how they use their role, how they use their particular place in society, a system that was set up for them to succeed, for them to look good, for them to be lifted high, and to make sure that nobody else gets out of line because if they do, they are going to be crucified. They are going to be put in prison. They are going to be pushed out of the church. They are going to be called liberal. They are going to be called wrong. They are going to be called heretics. They are going to be told that they are demon-possessed. Because, in fact, that's yeah. what they told Jesus when Jesus said that he's going to be helping those who are oppressed, who are, who are sinners, who, are, um, who, who need to know healing and restoration and the good news of who he was and, who the, and, and bringing them back to a right relationship with their creator. And the Pharisees hated that because that was taking away their status quo, that was taking away their norm, their special place, because they were the ones that were right with God, and all the other people had to earn it. They didn't have to. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is that when we start looking at this situation, is for racism, the a certain group of people are able to be a certain way, live a certain way, have a certain freedom, Anybody yeah. comes it comes in and challenges that, they're now called a liberal. They're now called somebody who's anti-America. They're the ones who are now against God because they're trying to stand up for what's right in God's eyes. Like that is my biggest problem. Don't tell me I'm ungodly, right? And I'm hurt because honestly, like as a pastor, when somebody tells you something like that, when you are actually calling out an injustice on people. And you're going to tell me I'm ungodly because I'm calling out an injustice because I'm saying that racism exists and oppression exists on people. You're going to tell me that I'm ungodly. Yeah. When God stood to bring people back to him who were being oppressed, who are being separated by race because Jesus sat with a woman who should have never been sat with because she was a Samaritan and a woman. Yeah. When he said for the good Samaritan who was not supposed to be a good person at, at all, but he was the good Samaritan who cared for somebody who was broken and beat down, he was the real neighbor in that story. Yeah. When he's sitting with a woman caught in adultery, like, you can go through scripture and see how he stood against this issue. And he would not just cry. He would, he would raise ruckus over all of this because he would say, this is wrong. This is wrong. Wow. Yeah. Well, I I got nothing else now. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm. I think that uh, for now, I think this is where we'll stop. Um, yeah. I think next week, though, um, I'm hoping that we're going to have uh, a friend of mine on um, to discuss. Yeah, that'd be great. To yeah. discuss this issue from from a different perspective, and um, um, and really, I think that it's something that we're all going to need to hear. We're going to continue this conversation, and yeah. I, and I just want to challenge people right now. Hopefully, you've listened all the way through, and if you are still in that boat of saying um, 
we're spreading a false narrative. Mm-hmm. If you're still in that boat of saying that that this should never even be brought up, that all this is is stirring the pot, causing separation, um, I want to challenge your heart on this. Yeah. I want you to really think about your privilege in this. How How is it that you can walk through a neighborhood and not feel unsafe? How is it that you can walk into a grocery store and not be looked up and down questioning whether or not you are supposed to be there or whether or not you're going to be a good person? Yeah. Um, where you can be standing in a grocery line minding your business, but somebody who has concealed carry can go ahead and pop it open ready to pull just because of your skin color. Yeah. Because that happens. Yeah. If you're going to tell me that that doesn't happen, then then you are blind. And you need to check yourself because you are only allowing yourself to be to buy into your own agenda and what makes you feel comfortable. And you're not willing to listen to what's happening to your brothers and sisters who are of different colors. Yeah. So that's that. For me, that's a good place to end it. All right. Well, hey, um, if you've been listening and you've listened all the way through, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I know it's a heavy one, and I think next week's going to be even heavier. Um, but if you have enjoyed what you're hearing, if you've enjoyed any of our podcasts, we ask that you um, like it, um, share it, comment, let us know, because we'd love to know that you're listening, and we'd love to know that um, people yeah. appreciate our conversation. But, um, but man, Jared, I just want to let you know, man, as a Hispanic male <laughs> – who at times yeah. I've questioned whether or not I'm safe sometimes in, in this area. Um, yeah. In some of the conversations and things that I've heard from people um, about Mexicans or about people who are, um, you know, Hispanic. Um, you know, I want to thank you for being a voice of an ally, of someone who, yeah. I, who I know that I can count on, who I know will support me, who will support my family regardless of our last name, regardless of our skin color, um, and to know that, um, you know, that, that I have you, man. I really, I, I like, I, I mean that from the bottom yeah. of my heart. Thank you, brother. I tell you, I believe it's what Jesus wants from white Americans right now. Yeah. I think, I think, I think Jesus, I think Jesus is an ally and I think he's calling us to listen to people of color. Yeah. Well, with that, um, thank you for listening to the Frank and Sets podcast. This is Bobby. This is Jared. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye.